Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. So, hey, we are in a, a series called Unfolding His Story. If you've been, you know we're going through uh, different kind of mile markers in the lineage of Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about David. I want to start with just a verse actually from the book of Acts because I think it's a good setup for today. Uh, Acts 13, verse 22, it reads like this. It says, uh, this is Paul talking, instructing. He says, after removing Saul, he, meaning God, made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. You know, David is a central figure in the lineage of Jesus. And in fact, every Jew of that day or every Israelite would have known if the Messiah, the anointed one, is coming, it ha- he has to come through the lineage of David. And that's based on a promise in 2 Samuel 7, where out of love for David and David's heart for God, God promised that from his line would come a forever king uh, and a forever throne. And everybody knew that. And so if you read the New Testament, you're going to see, hey, is this the son of David? Is this the son of David? Which was... A reference to, hey, is this the one who's been promised since 2 Samuel 7? And just for context, you know, this is a, this is a thousand years before Christ, 2 Samuel 7. This, this promise uh, came a thousand years prior. And this is what Paul's arguing in Acts 13, that, hey, Jesus is that son. But what I want to focus on today is this phrase in Acts 13 where it says, David was a man after God's own heart, right? This is why we know David's name. Had David been a different person, lived a different life, we might not have this promise. We, he, he might not have been the person that we all know. Uh, this heart David had is why the prophet Samuel was sent to him as uh, probably an early teenager and anointed him as a future king. This is why God chose to covenant with him, promising him a line and a name and descendants and a a future kingdom. And it comes down to David's heart. And the reason this is significant is because David did not have a very easy life. And it's, it's hard to remember that if you're not in the midst of those texts, but just to refresh our memory, he was treated like an outcast in his own family. He was kind of the Cinderella, right? The the person stuck in the fields, forgotten. When Samuel the prophet came to Jesse's household and wanted to meet all the sons, he was uh, an an afternote. And uh, he was was forgotten. He was the youngest. Even when he is anointed king as a teenager, there is a 15-year journey to actually having the throne. So could you imagine having this promise over your life, knowing that God had this plan for you, and then 
year after year after year, it's delayed. He was pursued by an evil man, a powerful man, for an unjust reason. And so this whole season of his late teens and his 20s is kind of defined by living in the wilderness, living in caves, knowing this promise is supposed to come. And yet, could you imagine just the pain of that, right? There's a lot of pain in these early years. It's unfair. It's hope delayed. And there are many moments, I imagine, his life and his faith felt like they were on the brink. You know, 15 years is a long time to wait for something to come to fruition. And yet, his heart stayed centered on God. And his later life posed a different challenge. And this was the challenge of dealing with the shame of sin. You know, if you remember the story, he slept with another man's wife. He conspired to kill this man uh, in battle. He lost a child. And thinking that he had covered this up and this was behind him, lo and behold, the, the prophet Nathan speaks on God's behalf and reveals, no, you, this, you're going to have to deal with this. There are consequences to this. And there's a lot of pain that comes with being uncovered like that and having to deal with the shame of your sin something that you can't undo and if that moment has ever happened you you know it can be overwhelming for for anybody's faith anybody who loves God a moment like that can be so internally painful and frightening and humiliating and embarrassing Um, some people don't make it through it And yet David didn't run from God, or his heart didn't grow cold or hard. Um, His heart remained centered on God. And so it's a very good, uh, it's just a very good lesson to look at this life and see how did he make it? How did he make it through all this pain of his early life and the pain and the shame of his later life and still be known as a man after God's own heart. These two themes are incredibly relevant to every person who follows God. You know, no matter how old you are or how, how long you followed him, it's relevant to me, it's relevant to you. Because the pain of life and the shame of sin are stuff that we all have to deal with. And we all deal with the internal battles that come with these things and whether or not um, our hearts will make it, or will they drift. You know, there's a certain crossroads that we face in life, whether we are going to draw near, or if our heart's going to fade, whether we're going to cling to God, or if our hearts are going to quit. Are we going to grow numb, or are we going to recover and experience redemption. And this is very real, and that's why this life is so uh, poignant for us. Proverbs 4.23 reads like this. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And this isn't just about Christian dating. This is (laughs) bigger, right? That your heart 
is under fire based on the circumstances and the pains and the dreams and the sin that goes on in your life. And you have to be vigilant, right? This is the image of someone standing at the gates watching for danger through the night, you know, vigilantly standing guard over your heart and noticing the messages and the feelings uh, that want to challenge your walk with God. So what we're going to do today, the, the beautiful thing about the life of David is we don't just have to read about it, we can read his inner thoughts, right? He was a poet, there are uh, tons of psalms, are, which are his own meditations and prayers and songs about his own life. And the other thing that's really amazing is they're earmarked with different seasons of his life. So we can, we can reflect on, okay, what does it look like to handle this uh, well? It's a window into his soul. And we're going to dive into a couple psalms just for, to, to do this, to look at what, is, what do we do when we face these different um, obstacles. So let's start with his early life. If you remember, David had a somewhat of a meteoric rise as a young man. After defeating Goliath, uh, his popularity soared. He was welcomed into the king's home, and he became beloved of all of Israel. And they would, they would say, you know, there was a kind of a proverbial statement that uh, Scripture tells us that they would say, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? So from, from shepherd boy to probably the most popular person in the kingdom, and this provoked uh, King Saul's jealousy. And Saul was insecure, and he was threatened, and so he sought to kill David as a young man. And he had to flee to the wilderness, live in the caves. And then there's just an enormously long season of surviving, could you imagine just for a second like losing your 20s because of one person's hatred for you? You know, it's hard. It's hard to think about that. And in fact, some of us have probably had people in our lives that have made life incredibly difficult. A boss, a family member, uh, a broken heart from a relationship that have somewhat defined an entire season and at the end of it, you're left with a what happened to that, those years. Those are not what they were supposed to be. That's not what I envisioned uh, that season of my life was gonna be like. And this is what David is stuck with. How would you feel? Would your heart sour or has it soured with hatred because something like that happened? Have you asked the questions, even though you, maybe you're not supposed to, like, God, what's going on? Why me? Uh, this is not how my life is supposed to be. How can this be your plan? Right? These are very common things when you go through these very unexpected, and, and because of the, the evil or insecurity of somebody else. It's not that hard to relate to. Feeling stuck in the wilderness, feeling like life hasn't matched up to your expectations, and yet you know you're loved by God. It's confusing. I can relate. Uh, I spent 13 years as a pastor, helped plant uh, two different churches. Both were 
ended fairly painfully and left with the reflection of just like, what was that, you know? What was that? You know, you sacrifice, you dream, you pray, you work, and at the end of it, it's, it's challenging to go, oh, that's just over, and there's no more. And I can't concretely say the, this effort led to this beautiful thing. It's more confusing than that. And you probably have the same things. Whether uh, life has brought sickness into your life or sickness to somebody close or, or, or death or estrangement from somebody very close or maybe work life has been nothing but frustration and confusion or longing for a family, the picture and home that, you, that you've always dreamed of. Like we, We've all probably experienced something like this, right? There is a pain for life not working how we imagined and a pain when our hopes for our lives are deferred. And it's from this place that like we meet David in Psalm 63. And so I'm gonna read it. It's, it's a little bit long. It's kind of one of the no-nos when you publicly speak, but we're gonna do it twice. So here we go. Psalm 63. It reads, you, God, my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole life, or my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods and singing lips with my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glorify in him. Why the mouths of liars will be silenced. So the first thing I think you just got to realize is in his pain, in his disappointment, he does the very brave thing of going to God and being honest about it. You know, if you think about your own life, Think about how challenging that is. When that pain comes, that's not your first instinct, typically, my first instinct. It's, it's to find something pleasurable. It's, it's to find some outlet that I can experience today because I don't always want to deal with this. There's a longing in his experience with God. You know, with his life's disappointments, with, with what he's not getting, he turns it to, man, I just long fulfillment from you, God. There's a conviction to praise God no matter what, right? And this isn't just naive, positive thinking. He's just sincere and rooted in Scripture and going like, I, I have, I, I will. I will praise you. I will thank you for the things in my life. Even if, 
my heart and my emotions don't want to do this. I have a conviction that I will. It says, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Right? This is the image. It gives me the image of when you have a child of two or three years old and you take them to a new place and what do they want to do? They just, they want to hide between your legs and hold on. Right? This is my safe place. And this is the image of David as, a, you know, in his 20s, just, I will cling to you, God, and you will keep me safe. These are honest and def, uh, desperate prayers to keep the fire in his heart stoked instead of going cold. Right, and the alternative is longing for, in, in this longing for a better life, or longing that we could escape the pain, is to, to, to drink or to, to watch enormous amounts of television or drugs or anything. Anything that takes away the deepest stuff in me, the pain that's going on there, and to defer it or deflect it. And I'm not just talking about people who don't know God. I'm talking about us. Like, this is the temptation for anyone who faces these things. That's where the heart goes cold. That's where we just naturally distance from God. We don't want to get up and, and go to church. We don't want to pursue the things we know would be good for our heart. We don't want to pray. You don't, you don't want to be that. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to have to reconcile with what's going on. The heart naturally seeks pain relief and you try to find refuge in something or the Father. And this is where wisdom, this is where knowing better and rooted in scripture and like being a little vulnerable uh, counts. And this is what we learn from David as we look into his prayers to how to deal with this. This is why scripture takes note of his heart because he made it through that season with a full heart because he took those pains and those disappointments and he clung to the Father. In the later phase of David's life, uh, we learn he made a ruinous decision or, or series of decisions. In Samuel chapter 11, or 2 Samuel chapter 11, you know, we know he beds this beautiful woman that's not his wife he attempts to cover it up. Uh, when the ruse will not work, he sentences a noble man to die. I mean, this is horrible stuff. Horrible stuff. And yet God sees through the cover-up. He confronts David. David is shattered. Um, he's done something he cannot undo. Right? which is one of the hardest experiences in his life, and you just realize, I broke that. And like, I, it can be put back together, but it will never be the same. It's overwhelming, uh, and you could just probably sense, if you can get to that place, shame just cloaking him, just weighing him. And if you read the account back in 2 Samuel 11, you'll learn, okay, this doesn't send his life into chaos. It has an effect on the kingdom. Which is our same, it's the same thing with us. Maybe not, to, maybe not the scope, but like those things can affect our families. They, they have far-reaching effects. Uh, 
when that happens? It just, what do you do when the chaos in your life is your own fault? It was the product of your own decisions. When shame stains your soul and you don't, there's no way to undo it. It's the most natural thing in the world to just quit, right? To just give up and feel like I had built this thing up to here, but now I've done something and I just want to get away, right? This is what, uh, a perfect picture is what, uh, what happens when Adam and Eve sin. They just want to run and hide, right? It's interesting when you think about the initial human reaction to something and this, the I have to run away. I have to, to try to cover this up. Uh, Brene Brown, she's an author. She writes about this. She gives us a definition. I think it's a helpful one about shame. She says, it is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that, you, that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I love just the clarification, like, if you can recall doing something really wrong, it is so painful to carry inside. And you just, you just carry it. You don't know what to do with it. Anything to escape that. And what does David do? I mean, this is, this is another very relevant thing. Because Maybe we haven't done something on the scope of David, but that's, that's actually helpful to know you can still have a, a full heart from God, for God despite doing something that you're terribly ashamed of. And for this, we're going to turn to Psalm 51. So again, it tells us this was written right in this season. You know, it's the footnote of Psalm 51 in your Bibles. This was written in the midst of this encounter with Bathsheba. And it reads like this. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb, and you taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my inequity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, 
and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on the altar. Again, this is a hard prayer. It's hard to turn to God. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to confess and admit with a sincere heart. Because when you mess up so bad, or maybe so consistently, you just, you feel like a hypocrite. Yet in David's hypocrisy, he's brave enough to go to God. He throws himself on the mercy of God. He doesn't justify, but he confesses. And again, if you recall the Adam and Eve encounter, what's, what does Adam do? What does, what does Eve do when they're confronted? Well, I did this because of her. Well, I did this because of this. And it it's, takes some, some strength to be able to go, no, I did this because of me and not the circumstance and not the provoking of other people. I did this because of me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And he's, he wants to be cleaned on the inside. He's asking for God to, to cleanse the shame and the guilt that he's carrying. Create in me a pure heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Like he knows there's only one place he can be fixed or restored or redeemed. He's broken and he's bringing his broken heart to God, pleading for renewal. Now, if you think about this, that, that decision should have ruined everything about his life. Like, it should have. It should have just completely, there should be no words about David afterwards. It should just be the end. He ruined it. But it wasn't. And, the, and this is really the secret behind his life that when he, when he messed up, I don't know what else to say, when he, when he just completely messed it up, he was confident enough in God to be vulnerable and transparent because, and this is why it's so important, because shame can change people. It just does. Like if, if you know people, if you've been around enough people, like one moment of just unbridled shame, it tra- changes people. They grow darker or harder. Their hearts go cold. They distance themselves from certain relationships. It's that powerful. And yet dealing with the power of shame, he came and had his soul renewed uh, by God and is known as a person after God's own heart. The psalm says, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And here's the challenge. Like, when you, when you follow God, you probably are trying pretty sincerely to live moral, to live by his will, uh, 
to take the high road, to love enemies, uh, to love neighbors, to be generous. And it's, it's hard to admit after all this goodness that no, like I, I'm still this fragile. And yet God will take that. God will take that brokenness. He will take the contrition of a heart that's just poor in spirit, even as a Christian. Not just on the conversion day, not just on the day you say, I recognize my past was wrong, and my path was wrong, and my denial of you is wrong. No, in your life, as you follow God, he still he says a, a, a worthy sacrifice is a broken heart. So if, I mean, it, it's fair to say if you've messed something up past the point that you can forgive yourself or the people who matter in your life can forgive, God wants you still. He will still take you. He he would love to receive you. He welcomes you. And you need that message because shame has this, it has, what it does, it creates an inner dialogue of, of I, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm permanently flawed, and you need to know that scripture is unapologetic that God wants you no matter what. The heart that goes to God can find mercy and cleansing. So I just want to finish with this. You are here today, but is your heart? Like, is your heart here? Is the fire still alive? Or, I don't know how to say this, are, are you making the appearance, but your heart is safely hidden um, from, from the people around you and, and ultimately from God. This is David's defining trait. This is a trait that kept his heart healthy, that kept his affection for God alive, that kept his feet treading a path even though it seemed like it was broken and finished. And it can be the same for us. If your heart needs some renewal, it requires uh, the bravery to be honest with God. It requires the bravery to listen to the voice of scripture over the voice of shame that might, you might be carrying or have carried for quite some time. And this simple choice of like choosing to use God as a refuge, a safe place, a strong safe place, and to be honest, uh, it was completely redemptive for him. Because again, shame will change a person. It does. He found in his life's disappointments or in the shame of his own sin uh, that God could handle both. And that decision to just go and be honest kept the fire alive in his soul. And that is for me to know and to receive because I want a heart that endures, and that is for you too. That if you want 
to, to, to be known as a person after God's own heart, or if you want to have a heart that endures the pain of life, the disappointments of life, and, and, and the shame of sin, like this is what it takes to endure the willingness, like David, to go to God with an open heart. Let's pray. Jesus, I just, I thank you for this. I thank you so much that we have these psalms, that we can hear the heart's reflections of a man you have earmarked as someone whose heart um, was after your own. Um, I just pray that we would have bravery in this stuff, that we wouldn't let shame turn our hearts away, but we would have the strength and and Holy Spirit that you give us the the power to come and be cleansed by you, to come and be refreshed by you, to come in in our very real life with with very broken things, uh, have hope and hearts that are still kindled to this day. We love you. We thank you that you are redemptive for our real life, not just like Um, not just for the really good parts of our life, but for our whole life. And we just ask that you continue to clean us, cleanse us with hyssop, creating us a clean heart, that that, that the words that um, you receive, those who have contrite and broken hearts, are good for us. And we thank you that you chose this man in the line of Jesus that this man with his flaws and with his challenges for us to learn and that that the promise went through him. And even with our brokenness that your promises will still come true for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.